Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin at verse 25. Let's read the word of the Lord together, shall we? Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, Lord, I ask that you will open our hearts, that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I especially lift up sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. And I ask you to draw them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost. I give you thanks for all you're doing. I give you thanks for your presence that is so real to us here today. And I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Perhaps the one area that gives us the biggest trouble in our relationships is the area of communication. We say something and think we're being very clear only to have the other person offended because they understood something entirely different from what we were trying to communicate. Right. It's like one man said, I know you believe you understood what you think I said, but I'm not certain you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. <laughs> Don't ask me to say that again. <laughs> Today, I want to talk to you about how what you say and how you say it can either help or hurt your relationships. Too often, we speak before thinking, before thinking about how what we say will be received. Too often, we speak a hasty response without considering not only the words we use, but our tone of voice and the expression on our face. King David understood the problem with the words we speak. That's why he prayed in Psalm 141, 13, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. That might be a good prayer for many of us to pray. <laughs> Keep watch over the door of my lips. This problem of misunderstanding spoken words is particularly evident between a husband and wife in marriage. It's one of the major causes of offense and wounds suffered. This is because, in general, women and men are wired differently. Now, that's no great revelation. You knew that. But not just biologically, but emotionally and psychologically and in every possible way. They think differently. They process information differently. They hear and understand things 
differently. Now, I'm going to make some rather broad statements based on stereotypical behavior, and I'm going to intentionally exaggerate some of them in order to make a point. Anytime I do that, you can always find a person or a couple that doesn't fit the pattern. Very few people will fit the mold exactly. So I'll ask you to just accept the illustrations for what they are, use them as a means of learning, and if you don't fit the pattern, don't sweat it, and don't send me any emails telling me how I got it wrong about you and your spouse. Okay? That's the ground rules. What I've discovered is that men and women can say the exact same words and mean entirely different things. For example, if a woman says, I have nothing to wear, and a man says, I have nothing to wear, they mean something completely different. When a man says, I have nothing to wear, he means, I have nothing clean to wear. All my clothes are dirty. When a woman opens the door to her closet and looks at everything hanging in there and says, I have nothing to wear, she means I have nothing new to wear. Now, if the husband comes up behind her right after she says that and suggests, well, honey, why don't you wear that green dress I bought you last Christmas? And she responds, that old thing? We have the makings of a major offense. See, the wife is offended the husband would even suggest she was wrong in saying she doesn't have anything to wear. The husband is offended that his gift is now thought of as old and unworthy of wearing. He doesn't understand how someone can look at a full closet and say there's nothing to wear. Each of them said exactly the same thing, but they each meant something completely different. Here's another word that has a completely different meaning to the man and the woman. Shopping. When a man hears the word shopping, he thinks conquest. He immediately wants to know what we're shopping for. His hunter instincts kick in and he's got his mind on a goal to find and make a purchase of whatever it is we're shopping for. If you say you need a blue shirt, the man thinks, aha, I know where they sell blue shirts and away you go. He'll go into the department store, a man on a mission. Within seven minutes, he scoped out the entire store and knows where every blue shirt is in the place. Inside of 15 minutes, he's walking out of the store with a blue shirt in hand and a smile on his face. He came, he saw, he conquered. If for some reason he doesn't find a blue shirt that works, he feels bad because he failed in his conquest. On the other hand, when a woman hears the word shopping, she thinks experience. She doesn't hear shopping. She hears shopping. She may have some vague idea about wanting some particular item, but she doesn't have to have anything definite in mind. It's all about the experience. She'll casually stroll along, looking in windows, Something will catch her eye and she'll go inside the shop, browse through the aisles, stop and admire something on the rack, pull something out, hold it up, put it back. 
She'll go into the next store, try something on, bring it back for the salesperson to replace on the hanger on the rack. Then she'll stop and have a cup of coffee. Finally, it will be time to go home. And she may or may not have made a purchase, but that's okay because she had a good time. How am I doing? Now, now, given the differences in their approach, you can begin to see how something as simple and innocent as going shopping can turn into a major conflict for a husband and wife. Shopping means something quite different to each of them. So they approach the activity with their own agenda in mind. The husband is on a mission to hunt and bag the desired op item. The wife is looking forward to time spent together enjoying one another's company. The husband has scoped out the place and located all the blue shirts. Meanwhile, the wife has stopped and looked at the purses, then at the shoes, all the while frustrating the husband. I mean, we're looking for blue shirts, not shoes. <laughs> He's trying to hurry her along. She's dawdling, wondering why all the rush. He finally gets her over to the blue shirts where they find one they like, but then she thinks she remembers she saw one just like this across town that was $3 cheaper, and she'll, sp oh, and she'll spend $5 in gas to save $3 on the shirt. She wants to stop for coffee and chat. He wants to get home because the game is starting in half an hour. She thinks he doesn't want to spend time with her. He thinks he's been set up. You know, the old bait and switch. Get me to go out shopping, a.k.a. hunt and bag the prey, only discover it's really an afternoon date. She suggests they sit and talk. He wants to know what about. Immediately, his defenses are up. Oh, you want to talk? What, 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 what about? we got to have an agenda here. She's looking for companionship. He's thinking agenda. By the time they get home, nobody's had a good time. They're barely speaking to each other, and they don't even have a blue shirt to show for all their efforts. <laughs> Neither of them is wrong for thinking the way they think, and one isn't necessarily better than the other. They're just different. And if you don't understand the difference, and if you don't make room for the difference, and if you don't celebrate the difference, then you're in for a lot of conflict. Now, I've been talking about male and female differences and about potential conflicts and communication between husbands and wives, and I'll continue to reference this relationship, but lest you think you've been left out of the message today, if you're not married, I want you to understand that this same issue of communication exists in every relationship. So we turn our attention to the passage that forms the text for the message today. You thought I forgot about that and all the fun stuff, you know. We're going to find some key components of how we should speak to one another regardless of the relationship. Here in this text, we're going to find some solid principles of communication that are to be the hallmarks of believers. Whenever you have a conversation with someone, you need to be aware that not only is that person listening to you, but the Lord is listening to you as well. Whatever you say to them, you also say to God. My observation is that whenever a husband and wife are in conflict, one of the first things that happens is that their manner of speaking to each other deteriorates. 
When conflict occurs, the tone takes on an edge and it becomes sharp. The words are destructive rather than constructive. The words are sarcastic rather than loving, caring, and compassionate. Through their words, they become adversaries rather than partners. Instead of encouraging, they are critical and accusing. Instead of gracious and kind, they are bitter and resentful. Instead of warm and welcoming, they are cold and even cruel. When that happens, they've forgotten that God is listening in to their conversations. When you look at the words of our text, you find they come in the midst of Paul's teaching to the church at Ephesus. Through the first three chapters of this letter, he's been teaching them doctrine. But beginning in chapter 4, he switches and begins making practical application of the doctrine for daily living. In verse 1 of that chapter, he writes, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He continues in verses 17 and 18, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understandings, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Then he writes in verses 22 through 24 that they are to lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Through the Spirit, the Apostle not only writes to that Ephesian church, but he speaks to us as well. And here's what he says. He says you are to reject the old self, you are to renew your mind, and then you are to reprogram your life to a new way of thinking and a new way of behaving. Then, in the words that we read as our text for the message, he proceeds to tell us exactly what this reprogramming, this putting on of the new self is all about and what it looks like. And from this passage, I want to very quickly highlight four guidelines for communicating. This is the language that leads to building up a relationship rather than tearing it down. Are you ready? Here we go. First of all, he says the words we speak are to be truthful words. That's what he says in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to recognize that lies and half-truths will undermine your relationship. Without honesty, there is no trust. Without trust, there is no relationship. Lying isn't caused by your circumstances and your surroundings. Lying is deep in the DNA. That's what Jesus is talking about when he tells the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 44. You are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 35, when he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his own, out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. 
So Jesus says lying and evil words come from the heart. And there are a lot of ways to lie. There is the habitual blatant liar. This is the guy that lies even when he doesn't need to. Have you known anybody like that? I have. It's part of his nature. He just can't help it. You know, it's like the one person told me about another said, the way I can tell this man is lying is when I see his mouth moving. And when this person gets caught, instead of remorse or asking for forgiveness, he will usually just get angry, try to turn the tables, cast blame on the person who caught him, or he'll create another lie to try to cover his tracks. See, it's easier to forgive wrong behavior than it is to forgive lying about the behavior. Sometimes the lying isn't habitual and blatant, but it's a means of avoidance. Things have been tense lately, and the husband will ask the wife, are you okay? And she will say, I'm fine. (laughs) She's not really fine. She's hurting. She's angry. She's upset. But she isn't willing to open up about what's eating her. So she avoids the issue by not telling the truth. Husbands do the same thing. He's not really fine, but maybe he doesn't know exactly how to define what's bothering him. Seems too difficult to discuss right now, so he's less than truthful in his response. Sometimes the lie isn't about what we say or do to our spouse or someone else to us, but it's a lie we tell to ourselves. You know, some people go for years without ever being truthful or honest with themselves about how they are contributing to the problem in their relationship. They keep pointing out the flaws in the other person without ever doing an honest examination of their own lives to see how they are creating some of those responses. Listen, listen. If Bill has conflict with Jerry, and Bill has conflict with George, and Bill has conflict with Alice, and Bill has conflict with Wanda, and Bill has conflict with Robert, it isn't too difficult to figure out that the issue starts with Bill. Thank you. Now, there's one caution about this idea of truthful words that I need to give you. It's possible to speak truth in an unloving and disrespectful way and in the process wind up being cruel and abusive. It's possible to use the truth like a club and beat people up with it and then justify your brutish behavior by saying, I'm just being honest. No, you're being ugly. Aren't you glad you enjoyed the first part of the message? (laughs) That's why we don't just need truthful words. We need the next kind of speech that it talks about. We are to speak edifying words. That's in verse 29 of the text. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. See, with your words, you can build someone up, and with your words, you can tear someone down. Edifying words are words you speak to your spouse that affirm her value. Edifying words are words you speak to your spouse that complement his positive qualities. Edifying words are words you speak to your spouse that encourage and express confidence in his or her ability. Not only are edifying words important to speak to your spouse, they are just as important to speak about your spouse to others. This is just the opposite of criticizing and nagging words. Edifying words focus on what's right 
rather than what's wrong. Edifying words concentrate on what is there rather than on what isn't there. Edifying words complement the good rather than try to fix the bad. Edifying words appreciate what is being done rather than complain about what isn't being done. This means husbands should speak edifying words to and about your wife, even if she doesn't respond in kind. This means wives should speak edifying words to and about your husband, even if he doesn't respond in kind. This is how relationships are fostered and sustained and supported. Speaking like this is not a way to manipulate someone into treating you better. Instead, we speak like this because this is the way we are supposed to behave and God is listening to our conversations. Truthful words, edifying words, then we are to speak forgiving words. That's verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Somebody ought to just underline that in your Bible in bright bold colors. Be kind to one another. Maybe, maybe put it in big block letters and hang it on your mirror or on your wall somewhere. You know, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I don't care if you did marry the perfect person. Sooner or later, this person to whom you are married is going to fail you. That's true, Pastor. That may be the most true thing you've said all sermon. I'm not sure. <laughs> when two people are in a relationship, one of them is bound to hurt the other. And when we get hurt, the natural tendency is to lash out and try to hurt back. Tit for tat. And before you know it, the whole thing is blown up in our face. You can't have a strong, loving relationship if there is bitterness and anger and resentment. I've known too many couples who had problems and sorrow was expressed and the words were spoken, but there was never any real forgiveness. The one who was offended could never seem to turn it loose. And in the heat of another conflict, the past was always present. Previous transgressions were thrown back into the mix and rehashed all over again. It reminds me of the couple I heard about that were driving down the road one day. They got into a sure enough, no holds barred argument. One thing led to another, tempers flared, volume increased. Until finally the wife brought up an offense that had happened several years before and slung it in the husband's face. The husband said, wait a minute. I thought you said you forgave me. She said, I did. I thought you said you forgot it. She said, I did. Well, then why did you bring it up again? She said, I just wanted you to remember I forgave and forgot it. <laughs> How many of you know there's not real forgiveness right there? When, there? when there is unforgiveness, you begin keeping a list of wrongs. You keep reliving all the hurtful things that were said or done. You keep rehearsing the offenses. And each one of those things is a weight that gets added to the table. And I want to tell you, if you put enough weight on the table, eventually it will collapse. And the relationship along with it. 
And the final straw will probably be some little thing that seems so insignificant. The reality is, it isn't that one thing. It's the accumulation of lots of little things that were never really forgiven. All of us, all of us are capable of holding on to petty things. We are all capable of making mountains out of molehills. We are all capable of straining out gnats and swallowing camels. We have to recognize our spouse isn't intentionally trying to offend. The best course of action isn't always to confront. It isn't to demand an apology. It isn't to hold on to the offense and become embittered. It isn't to blow it out of proportion and make our spouse out to be the villain. It isn't to nurse it and become critical of the spouse in front of others. No, don't nurse it, don't curse it, don't rehearse it. The best course of action is to simply release it. Let it go. Y'all doing okay? I'm having a good time. Truthful words, edifying words, forgiving words. Last one. Finally, the apostle instructs us to speak thankful words. Chapter 5, verse 4, he writes, And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Let me ask you, don't answer it out loud. How often do you express thanks to your spouse for what he or she does for you every day? I'm not talking about the extra special over and above things that are out of the ordinary. You know, the bouquet of roses, the box of chocolates, you know, I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about the everyday, normal, mundane things. When's the last time you thanked your spouse for washing the clothes, or making the bed, or preparing the meal? When's the last time you thanked your spouse for mowing the lawn, taking out the trash, or washing the car? When's the last time you gave thanks for how hard your spouse works in order to provide resources to pay the bills, keep a roof over your head, and food on the table? What about the last time you were thankful to your spouse for helping the kids with the homework, for spending a day off doing something with the family, for noticing the flowers that were planted? There are too many jokes being told at the expense of the other person. There are too many who use rude comments to try and change the other person. There are too many times where the sarcasm steps over the line and what's really being communicated is, I don't value or appreciate you. You know, the way some people practice Thanksgiving is anything but truly thankful. Thank you for putting gas in my car after the third time I ask you. Thanks for cleaning the house for the first time this month. Come on, folks, get real. Here's what I've discovered. Thankful people find things for which to give thanks. They aren't just thankful when everything is good, but they can be thankful in the midst of the bad as well. Listen, listen. If you're having some struggles in a relationship, one of the best things you can do is go home today and make a list of everything you have for which to be thankful. Think of every positive thing, no matter how seemingly insignificant it may be, and write it down. Really, really put your mind to it. Look over every part of your life and every aspect of your relationship. And put that list in a place that is easily accessible. When you think of something else, write that down on the list as well. 
And anytime you're struggling to feel positive about the relationship, read the list. Pause after each item and take a moment to intentionally give thanks. You'll be amazed at the difference being thankful will make. Truthful words, edifying words, forgiving words, thankful words. Now, you and I both know that none of us are capable of speaking like this in our own abilities. Our best efforts usually end up in disaster. Sometimes we don't even want to speak like that. We'd rather lash out in anger. We'd rather become defensive and in the process make the situation worse rather than better. But what we need is God's help. We need His help to be able to speak in a manner that builds relationships and makes them stronger. We need His help to have the want to to speak in a manner that pleases Him. Maybe your situation is such that you don't see any possible way this will work for you. Maybe you feel it's too far gone, it's, it's hopeless. Maybe you don't even want to try. Would you allow the Lord to help you today? Would you allow the Lord to put the want to back in your life? Would you allow the entrance of His Spirit to help you at the point of your need? Now, I understand this one message you know, I've only, I've only just scrap, scratched the surface of communication and there's a whole lot of, a whole body of work on that that needs to be explored. And once, listening to one sermon and saying, oh, that's pretty good, I think I'll take that advice. You know, that's not going to fix all your problems. I wish it did. Life would be a whole lot simpler, but it won't. It's a process that happens step by step by step. But this is one of the steps you can take. And for some of you, it may be the first step. I want to pray with you today. I want to believe with you that God is going to turn some things around for you. I want to agree in prayer with you that the Lord is going to give you an ability beyond yourself, supernatural ability, to use the power of your words to build a strong, vibrant, healthy relationship. Bow with me, please. While your heads are bowed for just a moment, I just wonder if somebody would say, Pastor, I needed to hear that today. That speaks to where I am. And I sense the Spirit of the Lord working in my life. And I want to give Him access to me today in prayer. Could I just see your hand? Just put it up for a moment so that I know who you are. Thank you. Hands all over the house. Thank you. You can put them right back down. Father, I'm praying for each one of these people now. We can't do this by ourselves. We don't have the, we don't have the ability. But Lord, you have promised that if we would put our trust in you and we would release this to your care, you would come alongside us and you would give us the ability through the work of your Spirit in our lives. And that's what I'm praying for now. Come, Holy Spirit, to each one of us. We confess that we've messed this up. We've not done it right. Forgive us and help us. Help us today to have a fresh start at it. Help us today to get a, a, a new run. Help us today to fully release our selfishness 
and to embrace forgiveness. Help us, O Lord. Strengthen our relationships, I pray, so that that truthful, edifying, forgiving, and thankful words become the norm for us rather than the exception. Thank you, Lord. Not asking for a sign or a feeling, I'm just asking that you help us to grab hold of your word and to implement it in our lives through the power of your spirit. I thank you for hearing our prayer. I thank you for doing it. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please.